Welcome to Raising Nashville. I'm Bucky. God bless Las Maricas to go margaritas. Las Maracas? I think it's Las Maracas. Juice box. And this week we are continuing our two-part series on Tennessee's greatest known treasure. Uh, honestly, national, international, superstar, Dolly Parton. Yeah, I was thinking about it like this week as I was reflecting on Dolly, Dolly Parton. Is she like Jesus? Is she like our modern day Jesus? I mean, in a world of memes and internet and, you know, everything, I think that she could be considered somewhat close. If Dolly Parton started a church, how many people would join? The world. Okay. If Dolly Parton ran for president, would she win? Yes. Well, we just saw a president from, you know, kind of popularity as far as pop culture goes but i think dolly parton would definitely make it through the primaries um I, i'm not 100 percent sure if she would win <laughs> all but right she would be good and this in this week we're actually going to tell you why that she could be jesus or the president and last week we if you've guys tuned in last week we went through a dolly parton story you know the saga between her and porter wagner and the struggle and everything and how she became a superstar since we left off on last week's episode we're gonna say 1980 dolly parton rose to an insane incredible fame throughout the 80s she continued that success up until today's time. We mm-hmm. touched on it last week, you know, around the turn of the century. She, you know, made some a bluegrass album that became popular and kind of brought her back. In right. the 80s, she wrote some incredible songs. Um, we also touched on the fact that Whitney Houston recorded one of those songs in the late 80s, early 90s, made her a ton of money in the 90s. And she became this pop country world icon. Yeah, beyond even pop or country, I feel like. There's people that just don't even... There's people that respect Dolly Parton that don't even like her music in particular. You know, like... Or maybe they haven't heard the right song, but for the most part, they're not a fan of her music, but they're a fan of her in general. And we are as well. And this week is a you know, podcast where we touch on stories that have to do with Nashville, that have to do with pop culture. And then most importantly, because we are two dads raising children here in Nashville, we touch on parenting topics. We have had podcasts on children's books before. Yep. And we touched on this during that podcast, but Dolly Parton has been a godsend to the children's book world since the mid 90s. And we are talking this week about something called the Imagination Library. Yeah, which if you have a kid, you probably know about it, hopefully. You have to. In all 50 states, um, you know, uh, also in a few different countries around the world, uh, the Imagination Library is something that, you know, let's just go ahead and say what it is. But this week, we have something extremely, extremely special to our podcast. And for you guys, we have an amazing amazing interview uh, with one of the main men behind the woman um, in the Imagination Library. But for those of you who don't know what Dolly Parton's Imagination Library is, uh, it's a book gifting program that mails free high quality books to children from birth until they begin school, no matter uh, the family's income. And I want to touch on that because that's that is a huge part of their plot, right? you know, so to speak. It's you, it doesn't matter what status you are. It doesn't matter what, you know, what social level you are, so to speak, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, You will receive these books as long as you sign up. One of my favorite things about the Imagination Library is kids receive a book every single month from when they are born to when they're five years old or entering kindergarten. Yep. Um, If you sign up at birth, which we're going to touch on that on how to sign up here in a minute, uh, your your child could potentially receive 60 free books over those five years. Yeah, which is a great start to a kid's library, especially if like, you know, you don't have a, you know, households out there don't have that extra income to buy books or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And Dolly wanted to start this foundation and this idea of Imagination Library because her father could not read. Right. Um, And she wanted, you know, in the the 
county she grew up in, Sevier County, Tennessee, which is far east Tennessee. Think Gatlinburg, think Pigeon Forge, think, you know, Smoky Mountains. Yeah. Um, I can only imagine, you know, the small town she grew up in, uh, the access that they did not have to, you know, such tools to be able to read and to, you know, grow your education. Yeah, well, we established on the last episode that in 2000, there was like, what was it, 411 people that lived there? So, yeah, maybe there wasn't a giant library there. No, if there was, they probably had to drive to the next town and they potentially couldn't, you know, didn't have the means to do that. Exactly. So Dolly thinks, you know, because of her father's inability to read, because she wants to help out her own community where she came from, because she has risen so far since she left that community, uh, again, as we touched on last week, moving to Nashville the day after she graduated high school, joining the Porter Wagner show, becoming you know instantly famous on that show and going out on her own and becoming an international superstar, mm-hmm. she wanted to give back to the community who gave so much to her. So she created the Imagination Library. The idea was around you know the early 90s. Um, it officially came to light in 1995 when the Imagination Library was born. On that first book order that she took in 1995, there were 1,760 books delivered or mailed to children in that community. I mean, that's impressive for her first run. Absolutely. And since then, it has gone on to, for example, in 2018, they, you know, the Library of Congress received the 100 millionth book that they have given out. Now, this. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again. In 2018, the Library of Congress received the 100 millionth book that they had ever created and delivered. Oh, okay. So as like a milestone or something, they sent it to... The yeah. Library of Congress doesn't have 100 million books from Dolly Parton. No, so. no, no, no. The 100 millionth book okay. that was sent out. Okay. No, this margarita is kicking it. Sorry. <laughs> so... Um, What we wanted to do today is bring the Imagination Library to light. We have an amazing interview coming up with the CEO of the Imagination Library. His name is David Dotson. He opens up to us and, you know, kind of tells us his story, where he came from, how he came to the Imagination Library, and how it has skyrocketed since he joined in 1999. It is incredible. Stay tuned for that. But what we want to do really quick is kind of get into, you know, a couple of things. Again, if you want to sign up for this free book program, you can receive a book every single month for your child from zero to five. Of course, when they're five years old, uh, it ends because the idea is they are entering kindergarten. It's supposed to help build up their reading and reading comprehension skills prior to kindergarten. I think that's the whole thought process behind it. Absolutely. And currently on their website, as of today, they have uh, shipped out 147,137,107 books. That's awesome. Incredible. We have about um, 24 of them. Yeah, our house does too. If your parents like us, you receive these books if you did sign up in the hospital, which is great for a Tennessee parent because it... You have the opportunity to do it there when you're in labor in the hospital. <laughs> right. They they brought it. Yeah. You're not far off. They brought it in like almost immediately and they were like, you need to sign up for this. You need to sign up for this. Real quick, the one thing they told me in the, in the hospital that has stuck with me is um, if you move, you need to change your address with the Imagination Library. Sure. Because otherwise, if you just change it with the post office, then they won't send them to the new, like, automatically send it to the new address. And then they told me that they get sent to, like, they can't even recycle, or they just have to recycle them or something. They can't even, like, donate them to something else. There's some weird rule where they just get tossed. Holy. So, Yeah. Um, but if you do want to sign up for the Imagination Library and receive your books every month for your children, <laughs> sorry, uh, and you do not live in the state of Tennessee, we want to give you, you know, if you go online to uh, uh, imaginationlibrary.com, there is some forms you fill out. It takes about six to eight weeks to process your application, and then you will start receiving the books. So that is pretty cool. Let's go through some uh, distribution timeline because this kind of blows me away from 1995 to 2020, which is what, 25 years? Yep. In 25 years, here's how it's gone. In 95, the program was launched in Sevier County. Again, first book order was 1,760 books. 
In 2000, five years later, the national reach was already underway. So in five years, this had garnered so much attention right there in Sevier County, East Tennessee, that people were catching on and they were saying, hey, we want this available for our state or our community or you know our town. And so people started to gather up and they started sending books out nationally, again, to specific communities, not entire states at that time. Mm-hmm. In 2003, only three years after National Reach happened, they mailed their one millionth book, which is, again, eight. this is eight years after this thing was created, one million books they sent out for free. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about, too, and like maybe this has nothing to do with it, but like the 90s, as we talked about in the last podcast, were like kind of the low period for Dolly Parton's like music career, you know? So like in 95 and... Probably when it, you know, some of the one of the lower areas of her like performing career, she launches this and just like, you know, she's not like launching it at the peak of her thing. She's just like, let's do this now. Let's 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 get it rolling. So I wonder if almost like the fact that she wasn't as engaged in that really helped like get the ball rolling on this, you know. When I was researching a lot of the stuff for, you know, this Imagination Library podcast, those words that you just spoke rang true because I remember last week's episode and I mm-hmm. remember you saying that that was kind of the down period for Dolly Parton and maybe it did allow, you know, her creative juices to see where she could implement herself in other places other than, you know, being on the big screen. Uh, recording music and whatnot. Yeah. She all obviously she has the biggest heart ever. Dolly Parton does not have children, and she, you know, I think we all consider her not only Jesus or the next president, but all of our mothers. Oh, I was gonna say like, aunt. Oh, she's like aunt. Every, everybody's aunt. Yeah, and she, you know, I think all of the children of the world, you know, look up to her or should. And Juicebox talked about this when he reads his son. Uh, Dolly Parton books, he makes sure to flip to the back and say, uh, Dolly Parton gave you this book, so let's thank Dolly Parton. <laughs> yeah, and for that reason, my kid knows who Dolly Parton is now. He saw her on TV the other day and was like, hey, it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> Which is awesome. He's only two and a half. Yeah. Uh, again, in 2003, they mailed their one millionth book. In 2004, this is a big thing, it expands statewide in Tennessee. We were the first state to get entire statewide. Every county, every city in the state of Tennessee, I don't know if it was hospital uh, hospitals right then, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that got the ball rolling on. As soon as you have a kid, somebody walks in with this piece of paper and they're like, sign this. It's a great deal. And thank God they did. I mean, because when you're, you know, we've talked about it on past episodes. When you're in the hospital, everything is such a blur and you're just like, sign this, sign this, sign this. And then, you know, it, it was actually something that I wasn't going to get a bill for. So it was yeah. nice. <laughs> this professional photographer is going to come in and take pictures. <laughs> yeah. You have sure. no choice in the matter. Yeah. Sure. My wife is. Still halfway drugged up, and uh, you know we're all doing great. But so that was in 2004. In 2006, they went international. Uh, only two years later, after they went statewide in Tennessee to Canada. Uh, in 2007, they expanded to the United Kingdom. Uh, in 2013, they expanded to Australia. So they're kind of you know moving and moving and t- trying to take this thing worldwide. In 2018, the 100 millionth book as we touched on was entered into the library of congress Mm -hmm. Uh, and then in 2019 just last year they expanded to uh ireland so you know they're we're we're logging four countries here all 50 states completely statewide in a few of those states and it there's no look there's no stopping right now right Right. Mm -hmm. we we touched on it in the last podcast and we're going to touch on it again at the end of the interview with david dotson there's a film coming out and during the first week of December uh, called The Library That Dolly Built. And this is a massive documentary film that is going to go behind the scenes of all of these people that do incredible work for the Dolly Parton or for the Dollywood Foundation. And they are the driving force behind the Imagination Library. You got to think distribution. You got to think books. You got to think wholesales. You got to think all these logistics that go into sending out over a million books per month now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they just had like a humble start. You guys will hear it. But he talks about using like a fax machine and a spreadsheet to like send off the um, first books or whatever. So yeah, they have come a long way. <laughs> and, and we're going to get to the interview in just a second, but we just I want to touch on funding because a lot of people have questions on this. How do you fund, you know, sending 
about 16 million books a year for free to children. And I started having questions about that because I'm like, Dolly Parton, I don't think she's funding this, right? And, you know, you can obviously see a lot of charities probably donate to this. Um, you got to think maybe there's a private donors. Maybe it is her money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of looked into that. Uh, other than negotiating wholesale pricing with, you know, publishing companies and book companies to send this out. Again, I don't want to shy away from the authors of all these books because the way they find these people is incredible and it is going to be in that documentary coming up. You have to see it for yourself. But as far as funding goes, I did kind of do some research and digging on uh, a specific topic called the a local champion. And I wanted to know what that was because they couldn't all do it themselves. So they have to have what they call local champions in, you know, different countries and different States. Um, and what a local champion is for the Dolly Parton, uh, imagination library is businesses, school districts, small and large organizations, or even individuals who donate to this cause. Right. The donation is not only monetary, which kind of blows me away because there are hundreds, even thousands of people that are behind this. And it's not only the Dollywood Foundation, which is comprised of, you know, 24 to 26 individuals. Mm-hmm. It is thousands of people who are doing, I hate to say it, but God's work on this. Right. Um, so here's what they have to do. Uh, they have to pro, uh, promote their program locally. Uh, within their school districts, within you know different you know social organizations, things like that, they are also responsible for enrolling children and families into the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know the monetary you know aspect of it, it does cost two dollars and ten cents per child per month uh, to. I don't want to say the word sponsor, but to you know provide this you know for people, right. Which is not really that much money when you think about it. No, it's not. When you think about how much books cost. Yeah, and it really makes you think, like, I should just be throwing some money towards the Dollywood Foundation every month to contribute to this, $25 a year is how much it it costs to send one child a book. Man. Sarah McLaughlin would be jealous. Is that a fat joke? Uh, if you want to donate to the imagination, <laughs> is, was that a joke? <laughs> if you want to donate to the Imagination Library, uh, it's simple. You go to donate at imaginationlibrary.com. You can donate five dollars. You can donate, you know, a thousand dollars. You can sponsor a kid. You can sponsor a community if you want to. But that's how you get in touch with them. Uh, everything goes to imaginationlibrary.com. Feel free to browse their website. There's the story of how it came about. There's Dolly Parton's, you know, her thoughts on it. There's history on it. There's all kinds of things. So imaginationlibrary.com. Also, my favorite quote on the website is, many groups and individuals work hard behind the scenes to make that special moment possible for each child. With that being said, this week we have an one of those people who works behind the scenes. In fact, probably the top person who works behind the scene. His name's David Dotson. He's the CEO of the Dollywood Foundation. He has been with the organization since 1999. Prior to that, he was with the Catholic Charities of Tennessee mm-hmm. uh, and kind of was a, one of the executive directors there. He answers a lot of our questions and a lot of your questions about the Imagination Library, as well as the house that Dolly built, which is coming up again in early December, streamable through Facebook. Without further ado, let's welcome in David Dotson. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join Raising Nashville podcast to talk about the Dollywood Foundation and many things that are upcoming for the Dollywood Foundation. Um, for those of our listenership that aren't familiar, we want to ask to get this all thing started. In your own words, can you tell our listenership what the Dollywood Foundation is and what you all do on a daily basis? Well, sure. Well, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure to to join you today. Um, well, just the very beginning, essentially, what goes back into. Um, 1988, and that is when the Dollywood Foundation was organized and created. It was created really for the purpose uh, by Dolly and a couple others, you know, for the usual reasons to provide an institutional home, if you will, for 
acts of uh, charity and uh, acts of philanthropy. So didn't really have a strategy or a, a sole purpose yet, except centered on children. So that was really its, its beginnings. Um, it, it, it evolved over those first years in 86 and to about 95 when uh, several things were done here locally in Sevier County, which is always the initial focus for the children here. And then in 95 is when the Imagination Library concept um, was was created, uh, its implementation for a couple of years, you know, here in uh, Sevier County. Then I arrived in 99. And then at that point, we really felt this was a program that could we knew it could benefit others. We just had to see if it was possible and viable to replicate this into as many places as possible. And I'm happy to say over the last 21 years, that has indeed been the case. You know, there have been a few things we've done outside of the Imagination Library. No one really knew how big and how vast it would become. I, I certainly had goals and ambitions, but honestly, in those first few years, they never were this big. They kind of grew, the goal grew with the growth of the program. But, you know, other things have uh, demanded our attention, most notably the fires in 2016. And then we have a couple of smaller programs that have been Dolly Parton scholarship programs in the local, in the local high school. Then we've helped out when she wanted to help out the local hospital to build its new place. So, you know, there are things that you're sort of called to action uh, to that are not necessarily in the plan, but are ha need to be done. And uh, thankfully, we're in a position to, to do so when called. David, let me ask you about your start at the Dollywood Foundation. I think you said you started in 1999. Is that right? That's correct. Did you already work in, on something like this? Did you or was this something new for you? How did you get involved? Yeah, it, it was all part of uh, my background. I mean, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. And for me at that time, um, all what was happening in the world at that time in the 60s really had a major impact on me. It's, it defined what I wanted to do. And that was really to be engaged in at a community level, to be engaged in social issues and hopefully be engaged in uh, solutions to problems uh, in communities and really across the country or the world. It was my my calling, if you will. I ended up going to college up north and lived up there for four years and having grown up in a very conservative rural place. I'm fond of saying that when I got to Connecticut that I went from um, redneck to hippie in like 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so from there on, it was, you know, I got my degree in sociology, I got a master's in social work, and then up until 99, from the mid-80s to 99, I was the uh, director for Catholic Charities for the Diocese of Knoxville. So okay. that was all, uh, it was all, you know, they did, did it specifically aim toward working a foundation and with books. No, that all came with, with the job, but uh, certainly it, it, it's all the same ballpark. Sure. After 20 years of leading the charge of the Dollywood Foundation, I mean, how does today compare to what you set out to do when joining this team in 99? Well, it's the it's a difference between night and day. Uh, when I joined, there was one other staff person. Uh, we had uh, probably about a $200,000 budget. We had the imagination library, but no plan on really of what, you know, how to grow it. And today we have 15 staff people in several countries have a $35 million budget. <laughs> and, um, you know, really just uh, everything is just bigger, uh, certainly more sophisticated, uh, more technologically up to date. Uh, we were, we were, first started, we were using a fax machine to receive copies of Excel spreadsheets, which had the kids' information. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and we thought we were a cutting edge. Yeah. So you know, it was uh, to grow went to, the, to a very sophisticated database that's also way more secure than a fax machine. Right. Uh, that we, uh, we it just come a long way. You know, it's, 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 it's very, very gratifying to preside over that kind of growth over 20 years. There's been a lot of changes, all for the better. Uh, but yet, through all of that, the key thing that is remarkable to me 
is that the essence of the Imagination Library, what it is, how it's delivered, its key and important features that are so appealing to everyone remain unchanged. They, they were fine with 500 kids and they are still relevant to 1.7 million kids each month. So change has swirled around operations and the world and all that, but the essences remain the same. Well, I can speak for both of us. Both of our kids are signed up for Imagination Library and my my kid looks forward to it like all the time. Like he's asking if there's a new book in the mailbox, you know, like practically every other day. And then we always make we always make sure and look at that back flap and I say, "Thank Dolly Parton, she sent you this book." So, so he's just like <laughs> He's even got it down. He saw one of the license plates here in Tennessee that has Dolly Parton on it the other day. And he's like, is that Dolly Parton? I was like, well, I, I don't think she's driving that car, but that is her on that license plate. <laughs> yeah, the license plates have been a big hit, actually. They're oh. like rolling billboards for the for the program. And, uh, and that's great. How old is he? He is about two and a half. Oh, perfect. Well, he's got some time left in the, in the program. And then... Then you'll have to face what the dreaded moment, which we hear all the time about, is the last book comes, and you have to tell <laughs> that there's no more books coming. And uh, we've had a lot of interesting emails and videos of parents <laughs> crying and kids crying, and uh, not so much sometimes out of sadness, but sometimes, most of the time, it's out of um, a recognition, particularly on the parents' part, that. It's a big milestone in a child's life. You know, it's occurring right when the child is, you know, five years old and going to kindergarten and a whole other world. It's a, it's a big change and a big time and uh, one that often m- moves parents uh, emotionally. Uh-huh. So, so I know that the first book that every child receives from what I read is The Little Engine That Could. And then they another consistent book is A Coat of Many Colors. Is the last book that they receive consistent or is it just you know, this is what was in the queue, or is there like a note that says, thank you for being part of the program? Uh, I'm just curious about that last book. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, No, it's it's a constant, like the um, first book, Little Engine. It's called Look Out Kindergarten, Here I Come by uh, Nancy Carlson. There's a letter from Dolly in the book. It's like the first page after you open the book that you know, is uh, paraphrasing it, of course, but it is like, man, uh, my, how time has flown these last few years. And, you know, here you are, you're about to enter uh, kindergarten and uh, what a, what a wonderful time. And, you know, an encouragement to keep on, to keep on reading. So it's a, it's an important send off book. We, we um, monkeyed around with it, I guess to say is a, a, a number of years ago, because we thought, well, maybe we'll put a new one. And it, and it was a good book. It was, uh, I think, Ms. Bendegarden, Ms. Bendegarden's Kindergarten or something like that. It was a nice book, but we faced a minor revolt uh, that, uh, you know, we want look out kindergarten, here I come. So it's, it's been a constant. Sure. So that's good to know. Whenever we see that book come in the mail, just get ready for that emotional gut punch that we're going to have to face. <laughs> that's right. You'll, you'll definitely uh, know. I, I hate to even say it that way. I don't want you to dread it. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, I'm making light of it. But, we, but it's, it, it is, it's a great, it's a great book. And, um, you know, we, we change out about, um, Oh, it depends on the year, but I want to say any anywhere between 12 and 20 titles a year. We never do wholesale changes of the entire library. But as if you have a younger sibling, it means that, you know, over a three or four year period, if you change out 12 to 20, I mean, you know, most of the library is going to change. But we do have other constants that have been there a long, long time. Um, they're not necessarily the same month or all that, but um the Llama Llama books uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. are really, 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 really popular. And we uh, have kept, we rotate a few of those in and out. But for the most part, there's always one or two Llama Llama books. Uh, Snowy Day has been in there since, I think, the beginning uh, because it's such a it's such a classic uh, book. And uh, and there's been a few others. So it, there, there are some that are sort of a small number of untouchables i guess you'd say (laughs) so let's switch off the imagination library just for a second even though it is really amazing um let's talk about the i think it's called the my people fund 
And that mm-hmm. was um, something that you guys were doing to help people in Gatlinburg and the surrounding areas um, with the 2016 fires in that area. Can you um, talk about that a little bit and let us know, like, how, how did that come about? Yeah, it's a remarkable story, really. Um, you know, and I'll just quickly introduce it all with capturing the, the time a, a bit. Uh, that 16 was the driest year I've ever seen here. And that we had a number of fires all through the summer, really. None of them were gigantic. Smell of smoke and, you know, hearing about fires was, you know, pretty, pretty common. And then the, the, uh, that day, the 28th, was the first, was the Monday after Thanksgiving and went to work. And th- that morning, and there were lots of, um, it was real, really smoky, the smokiest it had been here because our offices and sort of the, Gatlinburg side of Pigeon Forge, if you will. And, um, and you know, you couldn't really even see across a parking lot, but nothing, honestly, nobody seemed particularly alarmed at, at anything. I certainly didn't. The news talked a bit about the weather forecast, which was that night, uh, fierce winds followed by finally a good amount of rain. So it was actually quite a bit of optimism that day right. uh, that got finally going to get some rain. Well, what happened was that, of course, what happened, which was that uh, the fire up in the chimneys exploded. And then later on, when I was involved in some briefings, uh, you know, the fires were basically, you know, most fires move incrementally in a path. And these were like leaping ridge to ridge. And then about five or six o'clock when I got home, the news was like, you know, Gallenberg was on alert. The spiral was roaring from the park. It was like, geez, this doesn't sound good. Uh, but again, it seemed, I wouldn't say contained, but, you know, it, it just seemed like, well, it, it, you know, it, it'll, we just never had anything like that. And then, of course, by early evening, it was catastrophic. So right. the next day, um, the next day after uh, and where i live my wife and i you know we could see the flames and we could see the ridge behind us and we were, we were making plans to evacuate but we were fortunate that the winds came and the rain came about three or four in the morning so i went to bed about four i think it was about four o'clock and then got up right at six to go see what we could do and what could happen so basically what happened is uh all that was just to set up kind of a really rapid series of of events so dolly was touring tuesday it was clear getting more clear about the devastation wednesday morning myself uh several people at dollywood and ted miller gathered uh at dollywood offices trying to say okay what the response from our dolly got on the phone we came up with uh, the My People Fund name. She wanted to say, let's just give people a thousand dollars a month if their house burned down, and be be in mind that we did not know how many people we were talking about. Right. Uh, point. And then she was has uh, the second uh, Circle of Love movie, the Christmas movie, was debuting that night on NBC. So she said, maybe I can get up, get them to go on the top of it. I'll record something, which she recorded. And we were all prepared. So in that afternoon, from noon to uh, 8 o'clock, we built the website. We decided on $1,000 a month. We put up a registration thing. If you think you've been, if this you qualify, you think you qualify or think you meet this criteria, and had it all set up and NBC didn't air it at eight o'clock. So we switched to a social strategy and fundraising the next morning woke up to a million dollars. And wow. then just <laughs> two weeks later, uh, there was the telethon and uh, about 10 days later, the telethon, two weeks later, we were set up giving people their first check over that weekend in December 15th weekend. So the speed at which uh, all of this happened the jumping off the edge of the cliff, not knowing how much money we would need, how many people we were talking about, you know, it was just all on faith. And um, and it worked out that morning when we opened the doors before we did, I looked out at the line and I, you know, I didn't know if the line would go to from here to Gatlinburg, but it was long. But I thought, you know, we, we can manage this. We had a great team of volunteers and we were well prepared. We worked our rear ends off for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, once a month for the next six months, we 
convene for a day or two at the LeConte Center where we had all this and, uh, you know, gave the thousand dollars. And then the last month, because we had raised so much money, we raised twelve and a half million dollars that every person who had lost their home, which was ended up being about 900 families, um, received a a $5,000 check. So everybody received $10,000. And that that day, because, you know, all the hard work was over. We were six months into it. We knew most of the people who were coming in. We knew their story. We had a relationship with them all. And then to surprise the surprise was at least for about 30 minutes, people coming in and social media, of course, blew the surprise for everybody else. <laughs> but, uh, but it was one of the most gratifying days of our life, for sure. That is incredible. Uh, I'd like to continue on that because, I mean, obviously, there are a bunch of milestones that the Dollywood Foundation has hit over the years. Um, we can point to March of 2018 when the one millionth, 100 millionth book was delivered. Uh, 2004, when Phil Bredesen, you know, said we're going statewide with this thing, expansion to states and countries. Uh, with all that said, I have to ask you, what are some of your personal favorite accomplishments over the last 21 years? Well, I think that the uh, in terms of the Imagination Library, um, I think I would collect the things that you just mentioned really are so, uh, key ones. There's a couple others, but I would say that um, for me, it's been the the word first in front of all that. I was there for the first statewide program with Brett said. I was there for the first time we ever, you know, expanded to. I was here for the first time, our first 100 million books. So being, um, knowing all the work that leads up to that, each of those milestones and being and knowing at that moment that this is a milestone, that there was more to come, but this was really sort of the the place we had, you know, strived to be at. That 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 those are really really uh, gratifying moments for me uh, because I I just know what it took to get there. Um, I'd have to also say that I mean the Imagination Library is a very emotional program because each month there's so much that goes into the child receiving the book as you well know there's emotion from the child and from the parent and just knowing you know what we what we hope to have accomplished is we could we hear about it and we see it and to know that you've had a role and and what essentially is a private moment like with you and your your son you know that behind the scenes we've somehow made a moment each month for the your family that you enjoy and is important and maybe will last a lifetime i mean it's kind of anonymous but it it's really you know and to have it every month it's 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 amazing uh but the um but in terms of just uh, the all my people find i has to be right there with it i mean to do what was done and the speed at which it was done to we all had other, you know, we were all running the Imagination Library, so all this second full-time job for us all. Yeah, and to know what, what we took into it uh, and to know how much it meant to people. Uh, and again, you know, just knowing that you had a part, uh, I guess to crystallize all that for me, uh, were many, many stories. One is a great story, but it's way too long to tell, but <laughs> one that was uh, quite provocative really was a young woman we had we had have an issue and had an issue and still do with you know people in the service industry and housing is difficult here and so there's a lot of weekly rental places and particularly back then and and not you know just like for whatever reason tornadoes find trailer parks these fires found you know these weekly rental places and so people were had really no place to go and a lot of these places were uh, the owners were very predatory in terms of right you know really taking advantage of people and this young woman she could have been my daughter she was you know in her 20s and had a child and lived there essentially a motel room and when we gave her i would just happen to be sitting there with the person the volunteer because you know we would sit and help too and the uh she said she got the check and just you know uh teared up and said, you just don't know what it's been like feeling like I've been trapped in this place by 
a terrible man who would you know knock on the door at three o'clock in the morning to collect his weekly rent and uh you know and just just living in fear essentially and now with what she had and what was coming she could break she i can break break away from all of this and make a place for my child and you know when she was saying it really hit you when she walked away me and the volunteer just sat there and you know just thought golly that's just uh it's great to help but you know her pain felt pain to the marrow of our mouth yeah no and and what you guys do is inexplainable i mean what what you do on a daily basis for the world essentially is you know some of the the best philanthropic work that you could possibly do you know it's it brings a lot of people to tears and and we wish that more people you know knew about this or brought it to light so that's what i want to kind of transition and end this interview with is there's a big thing coming and i think it might have been delayed a little bit by covid um but i want to talk about the library that dolly built because i watched the preview of this film and i was just i was like this is this is a calling to us that we wanted to do this episode because we've had these this two-part dolly parton episode planned and uh we're very humble that you took the time with us but you know I, i have to ask this film that's coming up it's called the library that dolly built did you contribute anything to the film how excited are you to see everybody's hard work at the dollywood foundation coming to the big screen and how many times have you seen it (laughs) (laughs) well i'll start with that one i don't know a hundred yeah yes we have we contributed a lot and it's it's worth again a couple minutes um we've never had an opportunity to tell the whole story. You know, we've had good amount of media coverage and Dolly's terrific, of course, and what she is doing, but, you know, cause this holds the, the very special place in her heart and, and, and thankful for it. And we could never, this could never be what it is without, without her. But uh, we wanted, and we wanted that part, that part uh, communicated. We also wanted the thing she always says is which I get far too much credit for this. I'm just, you know, I'm the person out front, I'm the person people know, but I know that there are so many thousands of people in all these communities. So we were, uh, I was approached one day by a man named Nick Geidner, who is uh, a professor at, U- at UT in the journalism school, and he's documentary filmmaking is his expertise. His son uh, was receiving the Imagination Library, just like the both of you have talked about what he kept First of all, he experienced the joy of it all and saw the impact on his son. But he's like, this has to be more known. You know, I, sure. I need to do my part. I, I want to take what I can, what I, what my resources, my position and see how I can help. So we met for a lot to see. And we, it was very intriguing to me because we wanted the story. And we'd been approached commercially by all kinds of people. But, you know, they wanted you to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to produce something and right. you know we want to, we want to spend that money on the program mm-hmm. but he said you know the school can put its resources behind it uh, there's ways because he he developed a production company associated with the school so they could produce documentaries and again without the whole long history him his band of students um and uh, i you know felt like okay let's do this and so we kind of, you know, worked on the outline and what we wanted to be told and how we wanted that to be told. And then they went about shooting it for, gosh, a year and a half. I mean, they went, you know, I, I don't know how much money he spent, honestly, but he took his students to all kinds of places to interview authors and parents and rural places, urban places, Um uh, you know, went up to Minnesota to interview Nancy Carlson of Lookout Kindergarten, Here I Come, and a really t- small town that uh, one guy was bringing the program to, you know, his little community. So this thing really began to take shape. Uh, it's a painstaking process uh, from a production standpoint in terms of all the post-production. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we finally got ready and you know, we had a theatrical distribution company, Abramarama, who uh, was helping us. We we're going to have a theatrical premiere in 300 plus 
theaters across the country, big premiere in New York, Dolly was going to be there, you know, typical red carpet, and then COVID hit and all that, all that went away. And as she's so fond of saying, I think a lot of us believe there's always a reason for something. And a lot of times what we can't see at the moment turns out to be something even better later on. And I think that's what's happened with this. We, we, we kind of pivoted over the summer to take our goodwill and, 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 Dolly, do the Good Night with Dolly reading series yep. on you know on social media, which gave us uh, a clear example of the power and reach. And then it just evolved in, well, let's just do this on a social media premiere. We can't, we're not going to be in theaters for Lord knows how long. Mm-hmm. And uh, Facebook has agreed to help us with some lift from their end and with cross-posting relationships with Library of Congress, British Library, all these other places have come on board. Uh, on December 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern, it's going to premiere as a live event on Facebook. We'll show the documentary. Uh, we have a pre-roll that Dolly introduces it all. Danica McKellar, which is a whole other story, uh, who played Winnie in The Wonder Years, a mm-hmm. little girl who's now grown up to be a, an accomplished actress and has a book in the Imagination Library. She's narrated the film. And uh, after the film, Dolly's going to do a live Q&A and sing a song. So uh, oh, it's turning into a great event. And whereas before, maybe we could reach thousands that night, you know, now we could maybe reach hundreds of thousands, if not a million. Depends on what happens by December night. So we're thrilled with it. Just absolutely thrilled. I know we are too. And I know that is definitely something the world could use right now. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, something to take our minds off of everything. And I think Dolly does that very, very well, as well as her incredible team behind her. Uh, today we've had David Dotson, CEO of the Dollywood Foundation on with us. David, thank you so much. I do have one wild card question before we turn this thing off. Sure. Let me have it. Favorite Dolly song just shoot well uh here's my prejudicial choice which is the song try which hasn't got a lot of airplay it's on one album but her acoustic version of it has become kind of our internal anthem of the imagination library and she's going to sing that uh, and it's a terrific version of an absolutely beautiful song um just in terms of one of my favorites is the song Together, You and I, uh, and that video. uh, I think that just the song just captures Dolly and her spirit of of love and togetherness and together, you know, we're so much better than we are when we're torn apart. And it's just a beautiful song that I think should be one of the most famous songs of all time, but but it's not. Maybe it will be. I think it, it probably will. But David, again, thank you. We can't thank you enough for taking your time out of your busy schedule. You keep making those books, man, and we'll keep reading them to our children. <laughs> uh, you got a deal. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks. Well, Juicebox, I think I speak for both of us when I say that that was just uh, just sitting down with him. And, you know, I guess we didn't disclaim it before, but when we did that interview, we were out on a porch and we were on Zoom with David Dotson and we yeah. could see him in his home. It, he was so humble and so incredible and answered all of our questions. Yes. And he was a good sport too, because I don't think he could see either one of us because we were trying to be like socially distant recording. We were outside. There was like random nature noises happening while we were doing it. But he was totally a good sport about it. And um, yeah, he was awesome. Again, imagine uh, the, the house that Dolly built is coming up. I'm sure he is in it a few times, which he didn't really mention, but he said they had a lot to do with it, Yeah, um, which I have no doubt. And I'm so excited for that film. I mean, the, the interview just itself shows how much work and how much this means and, and the stories he gave you know about you know the people who cry when this is over and the fact that people send them letters thanking them and they they don't cry because they're not receiving books they you know sometimes cry and send thank you notes because of what it has done for their child which is something that is very important that we want to drive home this week right yeah that's one thing i wanted to get into right here at the end and i'm not going to bog everybody down with a ton of stats but i just wanted to talk about the importance of literacy and also the importance of the doll this imagination library like the effect it has on kids 
um, there was some studies. One, one that I'm looking at in particular was actually in Shelby County, Memphis, Tennessee area. Mm-hmm. Um, and it go, it, they do like a study of kids up through third grade. And this was in 2011 through like 2015 time. So it was plenty of time after the Imagination Library had been established and was like mailing out book. You know, it wasn't. Sure. It, so anyway, the kid, kids in kindergarten, early kindergarten, performed better and they were ready, more ready for um, early literacy and language skills compared to kids that did not have the Imagination Library or did not have access to it or did not take part of it. Still in second grade, they performed better on reading skills than kids that didn't perform in, in Imagination Library. Um, it, I guess I could just, it just keeps going on and on, like even through third grade, like it's still, it varies then a little bit more, like some of the kids that had the Imagination Library maybe drop off a little bit, some in third grade mm-hmm. compared to some of the other kids. But that has a lot to do with, you know, other outside. They're growing. Their yeah. brains are, you know, evolving. And one thing that, like, not to get too depressing, like, when I was starting to look at stats on this, it was it was shocking how many kids are, like, below the standard, like, average reading level when they get to, like, third grade and beyond. Sure. It's, it's scary. And one of the things that, like, is so important, and, and this is beyond Imagination Library, and this goes back to stuff we've talked about before, but it is so important to try to, to reach your kids because it helps develop their brain early and it helps get them reading. And that one thing, another thing when I was, like, looking into these literacy sets, I was finding out a lot more about and this is maybe my privilege, you know, like I just don't experience this that much, but like one in five people, one in five adults struggles to read normally, like basic reading, like one in five adults has some, some sort of trouble with it. Maybe it might be a mild dyslexia or some, you know, maybe they're haven't practiced enough. And a crazy like correlation to that is like, that can end up leading to like health problems because when they're getting medical advice or told to read like, you know, read up on a medical condition they may have, they're not understanding what they're reading. So they're not taking this advice to heart. Yep. And I feel like we're seeing a lot of that in society right now with this people pushing back against like basic measures of keeping each other safe, you know, and it's like we're, we're pushing back against science and it's because people have a, a literacy and they can't understand what they're reading. So they just like think it's not real. Or believe TV because that's something that somebody's telling them. Yeah, I know we don't want to go, you know, too far. Yeah, into and that. and I it, wasn't trying to take it down that yeah. wasn't trying to take it down that path, but I just want to say that like illiteracy is very real and like it's a very it's something that we need to look into. Like the education system is seriously failing us, so we have to like do like thank God for Dolly Parton sending out these books because we got to do something on the side to like get these kids ready, and the education system needs to be boosted up to because we're failing everybody right now absolutely i mean we can't stress it enough if if you feel the need and i think we all do go to donate at imaginationlibrary.com right um or go to imaginationlibrary.com there is a big button right there that says donate and there are many communities and there are many individuals and there are many countries and uh, states that are already doing this and you know they're donating because they see the importance of it like Juicebox just said, you know, literacy is not one of, I don't know, I guess our strong points. It's something we have to work on within our households, but also like, you know, we need to, schools need to be better too, but we can do a schools part two episode sure. <laughs> to start to get into that. But it is very important. And, and, you know, even when you're reading to a kid, for those of you out there that don't have a kid that are listening to this podcast, I don't know why you are listening to it, but... <laughs> When you read a book to a kid and they like something clicks and they really start to enjoy it, Bucky, I know you said before you, you you dread it when they're like again, again. Yes, we're getting into that like a lot more now. Reading books like two or three times in a row, but it, just something about their enjoyment from you reading it, and like I've gotten to the point where we've read some of these books from Imagination Library and other books that we have so many times with our kid. He set me down the other night when it was bedtime and he wanted to sit in the rocking chair and I had to sit on the floor and he read, I'm using quotation marks here, read me three books that he just basically had memorized from reading them so much. How cool is that? It's amazing. And I mean, that's the thing. That's like, you're helping that development. You're just filling up that sponge with knowledge. So it's like, it's just so important to, 
I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I'm just telling people something they probably already know, but it's so important to like read your kid and engage them with this. It at is an early age. Lately, we have been in the because my uh, my son is about three and a half. So when we are getting into the longer books, the further you go along in the imagination library, there are more words, there are more in depth stories. <laughs> it kind of caters to the age of the child. Yeah, and I start reading books, and I. I don't like it. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not the biggest fan of reading books every night. And I start to skip, you know, my wife and I do every other day. And I start to skip lines or I start to skip pages. or I, And he catches he knows, me. Of course. He yeah. knows. And he says, no, this is no, you didn't read this part. And it'll drive you crazy yep. but now i have to read the full book like i've gotten to that level it's over yeah um no it, some of those dr seuss books have like 60 pages and i'll skip one i'll skip a page in one of those sometimes and barrett's like you skipped a page i'm like how the fuck you? Yeah. that was page 32 out of 67 <laughs> pages how did you remember that which is incredible and again it only helps with their development um, these people that work for the Dollywood Foundation, uh, led by David Dotson, everybody who is behind the Imagination Library, and again, this upcoming uh, documentary film, The House That Dolly Built, they are doing everything that they possibly can to help you know humanity. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the way to put it. It's They are doing their work. Um, we just need to, you know, support that. And <laughs> we just need to do our part now. Yes, we do. You do. You need to do your part. You need to sign up for the Imagination Library. You need to read your kids those books every night. You need to receive those in the mail. You need to change your address with the Imagination Library if you move. Exactly. And think about it like, you know, if you got an extra 10 to 20 bucks a month or something, or, you know, 10 to 20, what'd you say? 25 bucks a year yeah. to supply books for one kid. I mean, come on people. That's like how much your bar tab was at one point in time. That's and one John, and John we can't Grisham even go out though. right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh, did I say that? Did y'all get that? That was one John Grisham novel. I got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, we really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. I'm sorry if you're still here. It was a long one, but it was very important, and it was incredible uh, to hear David's words and behind the library that Dolly built, which is uh, its worldwide premiere is December 9th. It's coming up very soon. 7 o'clock Eastern. It's going to be streaming on Facebook because that is how we get things these days. It was originally supposed to be released in theaters in April, uh, but it is coming out on December 9th. You guys have a couple of days to prepare for this. Go online. Check out the trailer. You're not going to be disappointed, and you will be che- you will be excited to watch this film. Yeah, if you're even remotely into Dolly Parton, you'll be down for it. Or children, or books, or people behind the books. I mean, it has everything. Well, we uh, hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. Again, we're here every Monday. Uh, we're about to get into the season, guys. It is, it, it's becoming Christmas. It, Dolly Parton, you know, actually has a Christmas movie coming out. She does, and a Christmas album. Anyway, it is the Christmas season, and we are here all Christmas long as we were last year, and we are going to bring to you some very interesting episodes. I think, you know, one of them we might run through this Home Alone series that we just found out there's a four or two. And, you know, we're going to review a movie, talk all Christmas. We love the holidays. Why not? Yeah, why not? We'll get into it next week. We will see you each and every Monday in December. I've chased after rainbows. I've captured one or two. I've reached for the stars. I've even held a few I've walked that lonesome valley Topped the mountain, soared the sky I've laughed and I have cried But I have always tried I've always been a dreamer And dreams are special things But dreams are of no value If they're not equipped with wings So secure yourself for climbing Make ready for the flight Don't let your chance